So before I kick off this episode, I want you to know I made an outline, but I am so passionate and emotional about what I'm talking about that I might stray away from that outline a little bit, but I really tried to ground it in a structure, but we need to talk. We need to talk ASAP about growing slow. There is this fanatical obsession with growing as big and fast and bold as possible and basically scaling into outer space that I honestly think is causing many of us to have full-on mental breakdowns. Or maybe that's just me. (laughs) So not too long ago in early June, I spent almost three hours crying to my mom before going to bed. It came out of nowhere, but what I realized it actually didn't come out of nowhere. It was just a culmination of things that I had been feeling for the last few months. I was going in circles talking about how hard it is to run your own business. I mean, this was completely incoherent, but I was just saying how I feel I've lost my sense of self. Why am I even doing this? I feel like I'm chasing the wrong things. I want a slower life. I want a more simple life. I want to help people and I want to make great money. I want to travel and write and podcast and live by the beach and swim and make art and go out at night. I want to watch sunsets and party at the beach and go to clubs and just connect with people. And it made me realize if I actually zoom out and go back to why I started this podcast back in 2017, it was never to talk about myself or do solo episodes. It was always built to talk to other people. That's why if you go back to literally my first, probably three episodes, they're all interviews. My very first interview was with my chiropractor because I thought she was just fascinating. I find everyone fascinating. I think everyone has a story. And then I found when I started my business, I strayed away from that concept. I started to get bombarded with content on how people do things and when and the strategy, the constant marketing of people's income, the success, the manifestations, the wins, the lovers, the weddings, the babies, everything. I just started to naturally want those same things. And especially in the coaching industry, you all know it's wild out there with how people promote their income. I remember being like, I want to make 50K a month. I want to buy property. I want to fly in a private jet. I want to work only three hours a day and then just see my sales transactions roll in because that's all I was seeing. Everyone I was surrounding myself with, everyone I was following, all the stories I was seeing, all the emails I was getting, all the masterclasses I was taking. That was the constant messaging for basically two plus years. And so in that pursuit of wanting all these things as quick as freaking possible, I just started to move really fast. I launched things quickly and I made decisions quickly. I pivoted quickly. I acted impulsively because I just wanted to get shit done and move on. I became absolutely obsessed with hitting certain income numbers, playing twister with my pricing models and offers, and just making a lot of really chaotic moves without ever thinking about the long-term effects of those moves. In my first year of business, a lot of my decisions were short-term where I would only think maybe like three to six months ahead. I wouldn't think 12 to 24 plus months ahead. And I think everyone starts like that. I will say this. I really think your first two years of entrepreneurship, you are just experimenting. I remember the first year trying to become this like millionaire. And I'm like, let me just start with like paying my bills. That would be really cool if I could make enough income to pay my rent and have a little bit of money left over to go out to eat. That would be amazing. But of course, with all the content I was consuming, that wasn't enough. Like, oh, you just want to be able to skate by? No, you need to strive for more. You need to be bigger and better and try to be a millionaire by age 30 and make Forbes under 40 lists and become a best-selling author and do all these things, serve 100 clients, like buy a, buy a G-Wagon, buy a Chanel bag. And it just became exhausting. But I remember thinking, well, I need to hit those goals so people take me seriously as a coach because that's what I started to align with being serious and successful was that you had all these material things to show and you had that income. Now, in my second year of business, I feel like I got a bit better about listening to my intuition, but I was still inundated with content. Books, podcasts, Instagram, emails, workshops, masterminds, masterclasses. I was trying to learn everything on a deeper level, and I was really trying to learn strategy. So launch strategy, copywriting, sales pages, marketing. And what's really funny is if I actually rewind before I started a business, I worked in marketing. I worked in content marketing. I worked in the influencer industry. I went to school for communications. I have my master's in digital media and storytelling. 
So it was just really funny that all of a sudden I acted like I didn't know how to market or advertise or do anything, even though I used to manage multi-million dollar budget campaigns or hundreds of thousands of dollars in my old job, where that was the whole goal was content marketing. So it was just really funny that all of a sudden I was spending all my hard-earned money on like marketing classes when I'm like, that was my job for basically six years and what I learned in college. So instead of quieting the external noise, I welcomed it. I feel like I just opened the door and put a loudspeaker right in front of my face and just listened to every single coach and mentor and influencer in the industry. And as you can imagine, that creates a Frankenstein strategy where you're like, well, wait, I like how this coach did this. I see that this influencer makes money this way. I see that girl makes her money from this revenue stream. Let me try all these things. But we never consider all the variables that that person used and what got them there. So when I had this whole mental breakdown, it honestly was a culmination of personal issues and grieving old versions of myself in Australia and Germany, realizing I was just moving way too fast and causing a lot of bottlenecks in my business. And I was just mentally exhausted and not doing the things that I wanted to do anymore. I started thinking that I could just meditate after work. I thought going to the beach in the morning was a luxury and it was like kind of lazy. I thought starting work at 11 a.m. was really lazy and that I need to start waking up earlier. I was comparing myself to people who have years of experience, full-time team members. They also have partners or they've stayed in the same zip code or spot since they started their business. Now, I actually talked about this concept in one of my episodes called How to Take People Off of Pedestals. I know how many variables make up people's success. The access that you have to money and capital, you know, how great your credit score is, zip codes, mental well-being, support from family and friends, time, independence, etc. So when I was having this whole hurricane of words come out to my mom, what I started to realize is I'm comparing myself to people that we don't even have close to the same variables to what makes up our success. So here's an example. I was comparing myself to someone who has had the same model of a company for five years. She's tweaked it and changed it a little bit, but she's lived in the same spot for five years. She has a partner, she's married, and she lives in California. She also has, I think, three full-time team members and one part-time team member. I have not lived in the same place for five years. In the last five years, I've lived in probably five different apartments. No, 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 that's wrong. Five different locations. I've probably lived in like 13 different apartments with different roommates, different cultures, different languages, different customs, different time zones, everything. So I was telling my mom when I was talking out loud, I'm like, it's like comparing an apple to a water bottle. Like it's not even the same comparison. It's not even apples to apples or apples to oranges. It's like we're starting from two totally different planets And I'm using only the variable of time to compare ourselves. And I think a lot of people do this. We're like, oh, she's only a year ahead of me and she's making 10 times the amount of money I am. So in one year, I should be where she is. And then we fail to to really put together all these variables that make up someone's success. So here I am like, oh, she's three years ahead of me. Well, we don't have the same knowledge, the same bank account, the same location, the same support system, the same brain, network or anything. I also think zip code, we kind of downplay this a lot. Maybe not we, maybe I have done this where I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, online, you can do anything. And I agree with that. But we also have to agree that where you live and who you're around affects your success. That's why people move to Hollywood to go become actors. That's why tech companies go to San Francisco to get the startup money. This is not random. That's why people go to New York for very specific jobs. So me being in a small town and wondering why I'm not at the same level of success of this person that lives in LA, it's like asinine. It's like silly to compare because we do not have the same starting point. It's like she started on a whole different track than me, but somehow I'm comparing myself to her only based on the years of experience. And I imagine a lot of you do this too. We only use that one comparison and we're like, okay, well, she's 33 and she's a millionaire. So when I'm 33, I should be a millionaire too, right? And I feel like when we get on that quest, we lose the discernment that we normally have and we start making judgments with zero context. We don't think about that person's mental health, what relationships they're in or anything. 
We just storm along hellbent to become a millionaire by age 30 because for some reason that's like an age that people start thinking that you have to be super successful, which is also silly. It's like this made up thing that we're like, (gasps) like we give our 20s a pass and it's so funny that we're like, 20s are wild and crazy. Do whatever you want. Find yourself. And then all of a sudden when we're 30, we expect ourselves to be like super professional and sophisticated and have it all figured out when I'm like, wait. That doesn't even make sense. If our 20s are to be chaotic and find ourselves and wild and make all these mistakes, why would one year later when you're 30, you're supposed to have it all figured out? And I see this a lot because I'm 31 now and I see people that are 26 like judging themselves being like, I don't know, I'm just like not making enough money. I don't think I'm going to become a millionaire. I don't think I'm going to have this success. And I'm like, you're 26. Like, take a deep breath. It's okay. I'm 31 and I still feel like I have light years to go for the level of success I want to hit. And I think oftentimes this is what leads us to mental breakdowns, at least like it did for me. Because when you put your blinders on to hit this very specific societal milestone that actually no one cares about except you, you often forgo other things in life that bring you joy. Swimming, making pottery, going to comedy clubs, going to the movies, baking, hiking, yoga class, you start to look at those things as total wastes of time. You're like, oh, that 90 minute hot yoga class that I used to do in the morning, I could do two whole podcasts in that time. Or that one hour beach walk that I used to do before I hit the cafe. Yeah, that's cute, but I could be writing a whole sales page in an hour. So I'm going to skip the beach walk. It's really, really easy to get caught in that trap because I did. And I had to ask myself, what is the rush? What is the rush? I'm 31. Why does it matter if I achieve financial success in the next three years or the next 30? This is why I personally had to mute or unfollow a lot of coaches because it was all these weird formulas of like millionaire by 30 or like six figures in six months that it starts to become so ingrained in your head that you just think that's the path you're supposed to be on. And I really started to feel like it was poisoning my own intuition and how I was spending my time. This is also where I think influencer culture really tarnished our ability to be more discerning about our goals because we look at influencers and we see them getting free clothes from Revolve and hanging out at Coachella VIP for free, getting paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And so what we see is what we think are people just not working that hard and making all this money. And so we're like, wait, if she's doing it, why can't I? And to me, that's such a very simple and honestly silly question to ask because of course you can do it. But again, you need to consider the context and the variables that make up that success. We tend to make these extremely aerial view judgments based on what we see from one Instagram picture. I do this all the time. Like I will talk to friends that I see on Instagram talking about their success their wins, the property they bought, how they're so in love with their partner, they're in the best shape of their life, they're traveling, and I'm like, wow, that is the life I want to live. And then I talk to them on the phone, and they're like, oh my god, I think my partner and I are separating, we've been sleeping in different rooms, I had a mental breakdown for exhaustion, I had to go to the emergency room, I just feel so exhausted, I resent my work, I feel like I don't even want to do this anymore, and I'm like, that's weird. That's definitely not what I'm seeing on Instagram. And it's like, we all logically know this, but for some reason, there's this like cognitive distortion that happens with Instagram that we take it as truth. We're like, well, if this girl posted it and it's true, then I'm just going to take that, that one Instagram picture and that one caption and apply it to her whole life. But then somehow time and time again, we see that the truth of Instagram in what we think is the truth, isn't the truth. And so when we see all these people that were like, oh my God, they make so much money and they barely work. Like, how can I do that? They're smiling on the, you know, the coast of California. They're eating pasta and pasitano. They're snorkeling in Greece. How can I have that? And we do this with celebrities too. We tend to conflate fame and success. And this is a really, really, in my opinion, really important thing that I think we all need to take a step back and look at. I think what happens is we look at influencers as many celebrities and being famous. And so we try to chase the same things because we're like, oh, they're not that far off from us. Like she was just a girl on TikTok and she blew up. Okay, I can do that too. Where I feel like if you're comparing yourself to, you know, some mega actress or actor, you're like, that's just so 
off the realm of possibility for me. But an influencer that went viral on TikTok, that's not that out of the question. And so we chase social media following, getting verified with the blue check mark. We try to get free swag, comped hotels, free meals. We want people to bow down to us. We want people to adore us and get that special treatment. But that's the problem with fame is it doesn't solve any of those things. Now, I, I always say one of my toxic traits is thinking that I have a really unique idea and that I find a channel or a book or a podcast that already talks about this idea at length and in a much more articulate and eloquent way than I do. So I'm going to link this video in the show notes, but it's from the School of Life, which is my new favorite YouTube channel. I've been literally binging their videos, but it's called The Problem with Fame. And basically the essence of the video is that we think fame is the solution to our problems, that people will just treat us better, that we won't have to explain ourselves because people just know us as this beautiful, adored, famous person, that we will just get special treatment no matter where we go. People are going to open our doors. We're going to get everything for free. We don't have to pay for anything again. We just constantly are like floating above in a different stratosphere than other people. But inevitably... There's a fall from grace. There's a life cycle of being a celebrity. And that's the disillusionment that I think a lot of us miss. Now, if you listen to my podcast episode 170, Michelle Pelazon actually talked about this life cycle. And when that happens, when we have this person on a pedestal, eventually something happens where we get fatigued or we're just over them and we're like done with their content or a new entertainer or celebrity or influencer comes in the mix and we forget about that old person. And so what happens to that specific person that we were just obsessed with, they kind of fade away into the shadows or they go through a mental breakdown because their identity changes. They're like, wait, I was just this like apple of everyone's eye and the center of attention and now no one remembers me. Or if something quote unquote bad happens, like let's say they made a mistake or they go through a divorce or they get a DUI or something happens, we turn them into characters and we don't give them any empathy. We just look at them and we're like, oh, what a horrible person. I mean, dear God, look at the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial. I would not be shocked if someone takes their life after that trial because of the amount of vitriol and hate that went on on the internet because we don't see them as real people. We look at them as characters. We're like, no way could they have real emotions. No one feels bad for you. Boo-hoo, get a vacation. Go buy a yacht. Go get a car. You have a private chef. Go cry in your mansion. We see these types of messages all the time on YouTube and Instagram. No one feels bad for celebrities. So we tend to make these judgments that because they're wealthy and famous, they're immune to emotions and feelings, and they just must suck it up because they've reached the pinnacle of success in society's eyes. And again, do you see how this is a problem? Because then when they fall from grace, they're not treated as a human being. So it's just really interesting to me that everyone is chasing success and fame in this very specific way of, I just want to be the center of attention and have all these fans and followers without considering the very real human and psychological effects of fame. You've seen this probably play out on reality TV too, right? We're like, oh my gosh, maybe if I just grow my social media following, I could end up on The Bachelor and I could find love and at least be famous. That also has a life cycle. If you watch Vanderpump Rules, that is a great example of a whole cast that went through a very big fall from grace. They were at once the biggest reality TV show on television, and now nearly all of them have had some insane fall from grace. So, for example, maybe they make a lot of money, but they don't know how to manage it and end up with huge tax issues like Jax Taylor. Or they're being judged so much that they have a mental breakdown and relapse like James Kennedy. Or they get publicly canceled, they get kicked off the show, every brand deal gets canceled, and they have no work like Stassi and Kristen. Or they have to deal with their dirty laundry on air in front of the entire world. Their partner cheats on them or leaves them or they get divorced like Lala and Randall. So that whole entire cast of Vanderpump Rules was once everyone's favorite show. And then one by one, again, people get sick of them. We get fatigued. We don't treat them as real people. And then we're like, we're done with them. And by the way, I don't really even have an opinion on all those people. I just thought that was a really great cast to show you how each specific person on that show is not the level of fame or the apple of everyone's eye like they used to be. Now, this is the problem that I started seeing with many coaches on Instagram. It wasn't really about helping people. 
It was about how their social media was just getting bigger and bigger, how they were securing really amazing brand deals. They were marketing how much money they made each month, each day, showing sales receipts, showing their income, showing their bank account, showing where their next biggest trip was. And one could argue right here, like, Chelsea, why can't you let them enjoy success? That's really cool that people are sharing their income so I can see what's possible for me and I'm inspired. I have two answers to that. I'm also inspired by many and I can let people enjoy success and perhaps maybe I am a little bit jealous, but I think the problem is that the message that that is sending to me, this is my opinion, is that you are prioritizing profit over people. It sends the message that I treat all my clients like dollar signs and everyone that signs up with me is funding my lifestyle. So when you see me in Tulum on the beach drinking a coconut or surfing in the middle of Costa Rica only working one hour a day, I don't really see that as inspiring because I don't know how you're helping your clients. Yes, I see it as inspiring of that's really cool. I would love to go visit Costa Rica and I would love to go to those places. But I'm like, I don't see the results that you're giving your clients. Like, are your clients doing the same thing? Are they getting those same results? Because all I'm seeing is that you're making a ton of money. So it just seems like when I'm signing up with you, I'm like funding your lifestyle. And I think what happens is when you try to adopt that of like, look at me, look how much money I'm making, look at my beautiful life. You're trying to scale at the expense of your mental health. Because at least you'll get a Chanel bag out of it. Like if you're trying to make 50K a month and you want to be able to advertise that, you know the amount of work that goes into making 50K a month. If you've never done that before, by the way, I don't think that's impossible. I'm just saying if you're like a year or two in a business and you're trying to make that amount of money, you're going to have to test and do a lot of work. And that probably means you're going to have to work a lot of late hours, fail a lot, and you're going to have to ignore people that you usually would talk to. So this is what I see a lot of times people are chasing this big income number but they're not realizing all the steps or the sacrifices that someone took to get there. Like you might lose friends, you might lose your partner. And it's like, are you willing to do that at the expense of that income goal? I know people that have had huge falling outs with their friends that they don't even speak to anymore. They're on the rocks in the relationship. They've had to go to the hospital for mental exhaustion, but it's like, oh, but I made 50K a month. And I'm like, what is the point of that? Like, what is the point of making that amount of money if you lost everything to get there? And I know this can be a bit confusing where people are like, but I know money can give me options. Like, I can take better care of myself. I can live a better lifestyle. I can help more people. I can hire more people. And I don't disagree with that. This is not a message to, like, make less money and be okay with what you have. It's just when we're chasing a number without considering all the variables and compromises and sacrifices to get there or realizing how much help people have, we tend to work ourselves to the bone and then we burn out. This is what basically happened to me when I had that mental breakdown. I was like, why do I even feel like this? Like, this doesn't even make sense. And I'm like, you know why? Because I'm overloading my plate with things to do. I'm trying out new softwares. I hired a new team member. I was trying to fix the way I manage projects. I was trying to launch something new. I was testing something new. I was basically trying to launch like 12 things in three months, try six new softwares, try all these different things. And when you really zoom out, that was me basically making like 50 decisions a day having to report back to all these different people that are contractors or clients on top of like living a life, right? Like going to dinner, going to yoga class, having the weekends off. And I had this breakdown because I'm like, I'm trying to grow too fast. I am trying to basically put the horse before the cart. It's like I'm setting up all these softwares and things for things that don't even exist yet because I'm jumping the gun of like, oh, but if I was a coach making a millionaire, I would have this level of software, and I'll just use a really quick example. Like I remember when I first started out my business, everyone used Kajabi. Kajabi, in my opinion, is a very expensive software. It's like $125 a month. I remember starting out being like, I'm worried about paying my $15 a month Zoom bill. How am I going to pay $125 for Kajabi? But every big coach was using Kajabi. And I'm like, okay, if I want to be considered a big successful coach, I need to use Kajabi. But what happened was because I, again, was using a weird comparison that wasn't even real using Kajabi, I didn't have the income to pay that every month and I was putting it on a credit card. And then before you know it, that credit card added up. And I'm like, I'm not even selling that many courses to make that money back on Kajabi. Or now I'm treating my clients as if they're the ones that are supposed to pay my software bills. 
So that's what I mean. I'm like, you need to take a step back and be like, am I doing things just because other people are doing them and I'm trying to grow, you know, exponentially fast? Or can I grow slower, maybe use a more affordable software that works with my budget? And then when I get to that point where I need to transfer to a different software, I will. There's other softwares that exist. There's other ways to do things. There's other systems and strategies that you can make work for you without burning yourself out and then ending up again in a state of mind that you're like, cool, I made all this money, but for what? And this is honestly where you should pause and think about like, what would I do if I made $50,000 a month and actually write it out? Like seriously, go get a pen and paper and start writing it. I want you to think of everything from taxes to paying off student loans to credit card debt to paying your team to softwares to business expenses, all that, how much your rent is, what you would pay for food each month. Like what would you do with that money? Charity, give it to friends, gifting somebody something. Because I think that's what happens is we just assume 50K a month would solve all my problems, but we don't even know what we would do with it. And I think that's how we then tend to resist it or we chase it without ever knowing what we were going to do with it anyway. And this happened with me back when I started my business. I had really great success early on and I had people that were paying me in full thousands of dollars. And I remember being like, wait a second, I wasn't expecting this at all. I thought people would pay me in full thousands of dollars when I was like three years into my business. I definitely had that mentality of like, oh, I have to pay my dues before people start paying me in full. And people were paying me in full. This is like three months into my business. I remember signing these two clients who both paid me in full and I freaked out because I was like, wait a second, I wasn't ready to manage this amount of money and I'm not prepared. Like I feel like all of a sudden I have to be this fortune 100 CEO and I don't know what to do with this money. And I know a lot of you are thinking, what do you mean? Like you, you have a plan, like you have student loans or you have credit cards or like, if you will, if you win the lottery, you know what you would do with that money, but it's different when you are making money from clients and they're paying you directly it just changes the game you feel this level of responsibility that's not the same as winning the lottery or getting like a grant for twenty thousand dollars it's someone paying you their hard-earned money to get a specific result so it just triggered a lot within me of like who am i to make this amount of money or who am i to manage this and what ended up happening is it became really dysregulating for my nervous system and i ended up shutting down I stopped taking clients. I stopped marketing my services for like three months. I only worked with those two clients. And this was when I was living in Germany with my ex. So my rent was really cheap. Everything was in lockdown, so we couldn't go anywhere. The only thing we were spending money on was rent and groceries. So my cost of living was super low. So this is why I could afford to take a break, by the way. I'm not saying just take a break. Like a lot of us can't just afford to take a three-month break. But I was basically skating by living with that money that I had made earlier on because I was so nervous to make more money because I didn't have a plan. I was just following that big coaching marketing thing of like, make 10K a month, 100K a year, be a millionaire by 30 without even considering like, what do I need this money for? What am I going to do with the 10K? So it wasn't until I started working with different mentors and people like Chiyama, which I've talked about, Chiyama and Jaku, the mindful bookkeeper, who really had me look at my expenses and what I would do with my money that started to make me feel more comfortable with managing my money. And then I was slowly able to get back into business and be like, okay, I have a plan. And this is why I'm very like anti-quantum leap sometimes, because I think people are trying to jump 10 levels But then when you get to level 10 without knowing what was happening in level one through nine, you're not going to know how to sustain level 10. And this is kind of where my June breakdown happened was I was trying to jump like five levels with my systems and create these really complex systems on the back end with softwares that I didn't know how to use with workflows that I didn't know how to set up. Even though I had people helping me, they were waiting for my input. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what you mean. Map this out. Like, I don't like my brain doesn't understand that because again, I had never learned. I was trying to grow past my limit. And when I got to that level 10, I was like, I couldn't tell you how I got there. So this is why I'm always telling people, I'm like, take baby steps because I know when you take the baby steps, you're like, cool, I'm getting comfortable with each level. I feel regulated. So when I jump to level three or four, I'm like, yeah, I've already mastered level one and two. Think about it from a video game perspective. If you're playing the beginner level and all of a sudden you're launched into like the expert level, you would be like, 
cool. I can do like two things. I don't even know what the controls are because I've never played the expert level. That's what happens in business. So everyone's trying to jump with these like softwares and models and workflows and providers and emails and contractors and all these things without being like, let me just start small. Let me hire someone for five hours a month to see how I manage people. Let me start with a software that's very simple and low cost. So in case I hate it, I can just exit out of it and I don't have to pay for a whole year. Let me start with charging this amount of money and being comfortable with managing it and then turn up the thermometer. So if you're listening to this and you're relating to this, that actually would be my advice. I like to start small to see how I manage the small stuff and then slowly turn up the heat. Like literally think of an oven. Imagine if all of a sudden your oven was on zero and then you just turn it to heat 10 and your like hand was on it. You'd be like, whoa, like I wasn't expecting that. Again, that's what happens in your business. So start small and then pick a number that you can handle when it comes to like pricing And then when you get comfortable and like three people have paid you amount, slowly raise the price. This is what I did. So when I had that whole breakdown of people paying me in full, I was like, clearly I need to get comfortable with people paying me that price so that if I get like 10 clients that are paying me that, I'm not going to shut down and have this whole breakdown again. So I kept that price for a little while, probably like six months to eight months. And then I started slowly raising it and I didn't raise it by like three times. And again, there's some coaches that might disagree with this being like charge three times your worth every year. And I, that's a whole other argument in podcasts about worth. Like everything you do is worthy and valuable. But I wasn't like, I'm just going to double my prices because coaches are doing it. I'm only going to raise it by like $200. Then I got comfortable with people charging me that price plus $200. Then I moved it up like another 200. So for me, that was easier to regulate versus like trying to triple my rates every three months because that was dysregulating. I needed to get comfortable with the level I was at and master it before I moved to the next one. I would do this same thing with clients that you work with. So again, I remember comparing myself to a coach that had this huge membership with like hundreds of people in the membership and me thinking, oh yeah, I could manage like hundreds of people. And then I remember my first course, which I got really lucky with, 20 people signed up and I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. Only 20 people, no big deal. And then when I got on the Zoom call, I'm like, wait, 20 people is actually a lot to manage. Like that's 20 different personalities, 20 different customer service lines that I have to think about. Like if something happens, there's 20 people I have to answer to, 20 people asking questions on the Zoom. Like think if you're in a a room of people and you're speaking to 20 people in a cafe, like that is kind of a lot in my opinion. So here I am thinking that I could run a membership with like hundreds of members, but I was having trouble running a 20 person Zoom call. So going back to starting small, maybe you need to test a group of people with like five people and seeing how you manage working with a group of five, then go to 10, then 20. And listen, if you're like, actually, I tried the 20 thing and it doesn't work for me. Like, I don't even think I could manage 20 people. You don't have to. You could change your pricing model where maybe you charge more per person, but you take on less people. So you could work one-on-one and charge thousands of dollars and only work with like four people versus working with 100 people paying you like $20. And this is something I had to learn the hard way because I just tried so many different things. But I also think because I failed so much, it's easier for me to shake off now. But I will say there there was a point in my life where I'm like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I want to go back to work. I want to have a nine to five. I want to get that biweekly paycheck. I want to have my weekends back. I don't want to deal with any of this back end stuff. I hate having 12 different jobs every day. But then when I actually thought about going back to a desk and working for someone else and not doing what I like to do, which is helping people use their voice and tell stories, that didn't sit well with me either. So when I had this breakdown with my mom, she was like, I think you just need to like delete some things from your life. And she used this really great analogy that a lot of people ask is like, if your house was on fire, what three things would you take with you? And so I had to think about that with my business. Like if my business was about to shut down and someone's like, you can only take three things with you, what would it be? So maybe it's a piece of software. Maybe it's a person that works for you. Maybe it's your email provider. Like what are the three things you would take? And I was like, oh, that's a good question, actually. I would probably take my podcast, my email list, and the people that work for me. Because those are the three things that I constantly go back to that have worked for me. Not only with being able to connect with everybody, but to do the things I like, which is write and speak. And from a conversion standpoint, those are the things that help me most. And I know I can't do this by myself. I've tried to do it by myself before, and I know I need help. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You all know I love traveling, but last year I found myself living in Germany during lockdown, okay? Lockdown meaning I had no friends, no support system, I couldn't speak the language, I was truly locked inside for months with my only social outings involving going to the grocery store and my only outlet being work, which was a fast track to feeling burnt out and isolated. I knew I needed help and someone to talk to, so I downloaded BetterHelp. It was exactly what I needed, and I've been using it ever since then. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your own convenience. I currently do it in my bedroom while traveling. One of the reasons I continue to use BetterHelp is because of the range of expertise and their 20,000 plus therapist network. It gives you access to help that you may not find available in your area. For example, maybe you're struggling with relationships, so you're seeking out someone who specializes in relationships. Or maybe you're struggling with family dynamics or depression, and you want to find someone that specializes in those fields, you can filter it out on the app. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with therapists in under 48 hours. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. I use the text feature all the time with my therapist, Rosalie. Between sessions, I'll share what's coming up, like any triggers or issues that I'm facing, and she helps me work through them before our next video session. It's honestly my favorite feature, especially with my time zone difference here in South Africa. And here's the thing, finding the right therapist is like dating and you have to find the right match. Fortunately, with BetterHelp, you can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And guess what? You get a 10% discount off your first month of therapy. Just use my link betterhelp.com slash rife10. Oh, and PS, they have financial aid. So check that out too. Again, use code RIFE10 at checkout or head to the link in my show notes where the code is automatically applied. It also reminds me of this quote that this guy, Derek Sivers, I am obsessed with him. I found his website and he has like the coolest about me page and it just showed me the power of copywriting. And I'm like, he is just so cool. He lives a really unconventional life. He basically built his business by accident. Like he didn't even want his business to be a big business. And then he sold it for $22 million and gave it all to charity. I think he's a really, really cool guy. And I heard him on a podcast talking about how the word decision actually comes from the Latin word to cut off. So when you're making a decision, you're cutting something off. And I realized in my business, that's why I was having a breakdown. I wasn't cutting anything off and I was dealing with decision fatigue. And I had gotten to that point because I was trying to do too much too fast. I was trying to implement like four different softwares, hire a new team member, completely revamp the podcast. And let's keep in mind, I have a life outside of my business. I have personal issues just like everybody else. I'm about to travel abroad. Like I was going on that trip abroad and I'm like, this is too much. Like the mind is not meant to make this many decisions a day. And that's when I had to remember that quote that Derek said is you have to make a decision. You have to cut something off or stop. And so I was like, okay, what do I need to cut out? And I just realized I was trying to launch too many projects at once because I was conflating launching with just making great money. And that's also a horrible strategy, which I learned in so many courses, like launching when you're broke is not a strategy. And so I realized, okay, me trying to launch like 20 things in the next four months is impossible. So let me push my launches back. Let me focus on very specific things in my business. Let me cut out certain softwares that I don't need to be paying for. Let me cut out certain people or their hours because I don't need that much support right now because I also found when I was hiring all these people to help me, I thought hiring them would just like take away my problems. But when you hire someone, you have to train them. They can't read your mind. You can't just be like, oh, you're a VA. You're supposed to help me with all my tasks. It's like, yeah, what do you need help with? Or I don't know how to use that software. You have to train me. So when you bring someone on, you have to consider there's a whole like ramp up and onboarding period. So me hiring all these people was also bringing up all these other decisions I had to make of like, wait, now I have to train her. And like, do I have to cut out podcasting time so I can make a training video for her and then pay her? And so I realized I need to cut some things out. I either need to pause my work with people or cut their hours down because when I'm bringing on people and signing them for all these hours, I was kind of just giving them busy work because I was like, well, I paid you 10 hours, so I need you to go do 10 hours of work. But it was like doing 10 hours of nothing because I was so scatterbrained. I'm like, I don't even know what we're working on. (laughs) Like, that's how 
that's how out of sync I was. I was like, I don't even know what projects everyone's working on. And I don't even know what I'm working on. It was like every day, wait, am I launching my course or my podcast or my one-on-one? But I wanted to try that one thing, but I need to map out the podcast, but I have a guest podcast. Like it was just so chaotic. And I was like, yeah, because I'm trying to grow too fast. And something else I realized was I wasn't really doing anything that I liked anymore, meaning outside of work. So I don't know if you've heard of the Wheel of Life. I've talked about it before. It shows all the areas that make up your life. Health, family, friends, career, love, money, fun, etc. And I feel like when you start a business, you heavily fall into the money and career bucket. And here's what I've learned from that. There will be a period of grinding and experimenting and seeing what works. And I personally do not mind putting in that work to really test and fail and see if something works. Like I... I don't mind failing because I'm like, I get a quicker result and feedback to be like, okay, it didn't work, move on. But when you start to clock months or years and you can't even remember the last time that you belly laughed or you had a girl's night out and had a little too much wine or you made out with your lover or you watched reality TV just because, that to me indicates that something is out of balance. And that's where my breakdown happened. I was like, I couldn't even tell you the last time that I wrote something just for fun that wasn't a marketing email. I couldn't tell you the last time I swam in the ocean and I lived 10 minutes from the beach. I couldn't tell you the last time I made art. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't really moving my body outside of my lifting workouts, but I was missing Pilates and yoga, which I always love to do. I wasn't making plans with people. And I just kept grinding and grinding and grinding because I wanted to hit that income number or the number of clients I worked with, or the sign-up goal, because I thought slowing down would ruin momentum. So I was like, no, I can't go to dinner. I can't hang out with people. I can't go to dinner with my family. I can't go see that show. Like, I could be doing more work, and that obviously is just a recipe for disaster. So here's what I've learned and realized, and I know it sounds very counterintuitive, but growing slower and taking your time may actually lead to financial success quicker. And I know you're like, how does that make sense? Because in America, especially, we are taught like the more hours you put in, the harder you work, the faster you'll see success, the quicker you'll hit the top, and then you can just retire. We've seen Gen Z completely flip that model on its head where they're like, we're not going to try and work 80 hour weeks. We're not obsessed with getting dream jobs. We're going to ask for promotions even six months into our job. We're going to job hop. Like I think Gen Z really turned everything over on its head. And what to me that indicates is like there's a new model of work coming that is not 80 hour work weeks staring at your laptop, grinding, thinking that that's the way to success. And this brings me back to that guy, Derek. I was reading his book. It's called Anything You Want. It's so easy to read. You guys know I'm kind of a slow reader. (laughs) It has like one page a chapter. And he was talking about how he built his company CD Baby. So he was a musician and he wanted to sell his CD at a record store. And he went there and they're like, "Uh, no, who are you? Like, we don't represent independent artists. You're a random guy. Like, we're not just going to sell your CD here. And he went all over town and he's like, why is no one like picking this up? Well, I guess I'll just make my own website and try to sell this CD. And he, this is back like in the early 90s, by the way. So like selling things online was not a big thing. So he had to learn how to code. He taught himself all this stuff. He made his own website and he's like, here's where you can get my CD. And then all his friends started hearing about it and they're like, wait, can you sell my CD? And he's like, sure, like, why not? And the whole time when he was selling, he, again, he didn't want to make this company. It was just to help his friends and him out to sell their CDs, but he still wanted to be a musician. So he was not obsessed with like, oh my God, I just hit this disruptive industry. I need to scale this to $5 million in the first year. He kept saying, all I care about is like my friends and the people that are marketing on this website. So as he started to grow and more people were referring him, he started to get really busy. And this is the part where I want you to pay attention of like growing slow and prioritizing people over profit. He told his team, I don't care if it costs us like a hundred dollars to fix or anything that the, the, basically the client needs, we need to fix it as long as it's not, you know, absolutely ridiculous. So apparently one client asked about something on the website and they had already put it up and done the work. And so Derek made a comment like, oh, we'll do it for pizza. And he gave them the number of the local pizza spot and the person ended up buying them pizza and he fixed it. And that person is like a lifelong customer, could not recommend CD Baby enough. 
And he kept that philosophy in mind the whole time that he was in business was like, customers come first, people come first, like do not treat people like dollar signs. I'm not trying to grow this company into some like $20 million company. I want to just focus on the people that we work with. And inadvertently, because he was making those small group of customers so happy, they referred him everywhere. People were writing about him in magazines. Everyone was telling their group of friends. And then slowly and surely over the course of 10 years, okay, 10 years, by the way, not one or two, 10, his company grew to that $22 million mark. And that's when he sold it and then gave it all to charity. And I love that story because it shows you when you actually try to just focus on the small bits and really master that and only focus on one thing, you will naturally master that and just become bigger because that's the natural flow of life. Think about a plant in a garden. If you focus on it and you're not like, wait, now I need to go build build a whole new garden in my backyard. I just want to learn how to grow uh, sunflowers. You focus on those sunflowers and you're like, I'm just going to learn how to grow sunflowers. I'm going to treat them well. I'm going to put the water, everything. And then you're like, oh my God, I grew all these sunflowers. Now imagine if you're like, oh, I see one sprout of a sunflower. Let me go to the other side of the garden and plant roses and let me run back and try to plant a tomato tree, whatever. I don't even know if tomatoes go on trees. But the point is, if you start getting so scatterbrained, you forget why you even started. And then that sunflower is dead because you're like, oh my God, I forgot I started this because I wanted to learn how to plant a sunflower. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make is try and grow slow and focus on one thing and master it and get really comfortable with it and become like the go-to resource for that thing. Become known as being absolutely generous and knowledgeable and expert in that one area or that one specific concept that you're teaching. And then people will naturally gravitate towards you without you having to market your income or show off your lifestyle or scale yourself. I find scaling yourself to be incredibly hard because you're always trying to become like a circus character of yourself. You start to feel like this monkey, like, oh my gosh, I have to dance more. I have to do more tricks. I have to show everyone my lifestyle. And, you know, if you have a lockdown and your lifestyle becomes you just working in an apartment, you start feeling like, wait, how am I going to make money? I'm not on a beach showing off my new, you know, Chanel beach bag. How am I going to make money? That's the issue is scaling yourself and showing off your lifestyle. And that actually also happened to me. When I was in Sydney and I started my business, I was able to do a photo shoot on the beach in Sydney. It was beautiful. And I used those pictures forever. I like still use them because I've never had that great of a photo shoot. And the point was, I was using my lifestyle as a way to work with me to show like, look at the way I've built my life. And so when I moved to Germany in lockdown and my whole life changed and I was no longer by a beach, I couldn't speak the language. I had no friends. I was locked in an apartment with roommates, with a dog. Like there were so many variables. It basically was like the opposite of how I was living my life in Sydney. And that's what caused a bit of that breakdown too. That part of my business where I kind of shut down and stopped selling things was also because I was like, oh my God, my lifestyle is no longer this like beautiful, inspirational thing. I guess people aren't going to work with me because I have no pretty photos. I'm not traveling. I'm not shopping. I'm not living life on the beach. What is going to attract people? And so I think the pandemic is actually a really good example of like, if something like that happens again, and you're using your own like face or body or lifestyle to attract clients, I want you to think about the life cycle of that and what's going to happen if that fades. What if you get in an accident and your face changes? What if something happens to your body and you can no longer work out? What if you go in a lockdown and get locked in an apartment in Germany and you can no longer take photos on the beach? This is why you need to focus on skills that are transferable, skills that will last you beyond the life cycle of like lifestyle content and use those when that life cycle does inevitably end. So this is a lesson I definitely learned the hard way. And it's honestly one of the reasons I also shifted to podcast coaching and strategy Because I realized with mindset coaching, I was not only going through my own mindset stuff, like I hadn't hit a new level yet that I felt comfortable teaching, but I was also attracting people based on my lifestyle in Sydney that I no longer had. And I remember using like really gross marketing tactics of like, imagine if you were on the beach, imagine if this was happening in your bank account, imagine this, that, and the other thing. And here's the thing. I know it sounds like I'm being a hater sometimes. I don't think that's wrong. Like there is something about being inspirational, but when that's your only marketing message, that's not a skill that people can learn and take with them. 
like teaching people how to live on the beach and make money and have a Chanel bag, like that's not a transferable skill. So when I thought about podcast coaching and strategy, I'm like, if something ever happened where I was in a lockdown, or let's say I just wanted to stop my business and I'm like, I'm done with entrepreneurship. I could take this skill and go work at another company. I could go work at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any brand or company and start a podcast network for them or a podcast, help them launch a podcast. Like that's a transferable skill. And that's something that really started to click once I was in the throes of podcast coaching, where I would see people continue to podcast after we were done with our agreement. They would launch season two, they would grow their podcast, they would get their first sponsor. And I'm like, This is a really good feeling because it shows that I'm teaching them a skill that they can learn and grow with, not a skill that has this life cycle that just ends when something happens to their personal lifestyle. Again, like being on the beach and traveling around in a private jet. So that's a big reason why I went really like full on with podcast coaching and strategy. And that's why also in June, I decided I needed to slow things down. That's why I went on a two week break. I cannot tell you guys how hard it was for me to announce that. I was freaking out. I was thinking about it for like three months where I'm like, I cannot go at the pace I am, not only because I feel like I'm not in the mental space to record and share like I normally do, but I want to revamp the podcast and I can't revamp it when I'm so busy doing a hundred other things and making 20 different decisions every hour. So that's why I had to take that break. And for a while I was feeling bad about it because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm losing the consistency. I'm going to lose listeners. Like everyone's seen me post every week for years and years and years. Like people aren't going to take me as a serious podcaster. I was also just on a podcast where we talked about systems and and keeping up your content. And I was like, wow, are people going to think that I'm not like a credible podcaster? And I really had to coach myself through that thought process of like, everyone takes a break. Nothing in nature blooms all year. It's actually unnatural to keep a pace of 100% all the time. And that's when I when I took that break, I was like, wow, that two weeks, even though it was only two weeks to me, that's not even that big of a break. It showed me like it's okay to grow slow and find my footing and then slowly step back out and do things in a way that feels more steady and comforting. That also gives me room to look at the rest of my wheel of life, to look at the parts of my life that involve fun and love and friendship. That's something I I realized along the way, too, is like I haven't even caught up with my friends. I have friends all over the world and I I have a friend that's about to have a baby. I haven't even FaceTimed her. I have another friend that's about to move and I haven't even talked to her. And that's something that with the wheel of life, I had to consider why am I trying to bypass all this stuff just to hit a certain income number? It's not going to feel good. And that did happen to me. I did hit a huge income goal last year and nothing changed. I just got busier and I had more money to manage. And yes, it was nice because I could hire people, but I thought more money was the solution to all my problems. Like I thought naturally I would just like feel more confident and love myself more and have better self-esteem because of the money in my bank account. That did not happen. And that's why I want you to watch that video, The Problem of Fame from the School of Life, because I think we tend to conflate again, fame and success. And we tend to think if I just had fame, all my problems would be gone. If I had more money in the bank, all my problems would be gone. But you need to start having fun now. You need to start figuring out your life now so that when the money comes, it's just an added bonus to your already amazing life. I can tell you from now, two years of experience, having big income months never changes my emotional state. It's just allowing me more options. Maybe I can upgrade my software. Maybe I can hire a new team member. Maybe I can gift people more things, which is amazing. Again, I'm happy I'm able to do that, but I'm not going to try and chase an income goal at the expense of my mental health or my physical health or my friendships or my family. So if you have been feeling like, why am I so behind? What the hell is going on? Like, I feel like I'm a baby. You need to be okay with that. Go ahead and mute and unfollow anybody that's triggering you. Maybe delete your Instagram for a little bit. I'm going to do that. Maybe take a break from launching something and just zoom out a little bit and be like, what are the core essentials that I need? Become like somewhat of a minimalist in your business. Become an essentialist and make decisions. Remember, decisions is to cut off. Cut off things that are unnecessary that you don't need. And ask yourself, like, do I really need this right now? Like, do I really need the most expensive microphone on planet Earth that I don't even know how to use? Maybe not. Maybe let me take it a bit slower. 
let me just start by mastering this certain level and then I'll move on to the next. So I am very like team grow slow, team nervous system regulation, team let's take our time. There's no deadline except the one that we create ourselves. And that's the funniest thing, right? We're business owners. We create our own deadlines and our own plans. So just double your timeline. If you're trying to launch something next month, maybe give yourself two months. If you're trying to write a book in one year, give yourself two years. And that's something that I would also recommend as a tip is like, go look at how long it took people to do things. I've lately been looking up how long it takes writers to come up with something. And when I see those examples, it gives me so much relief. Like I read how JK Rowling created Harry Potter. I think she spent six years just imagining the world of Harry Potter, like actually writing out what is Quidditch, what are all the houses, like who is Harry Potter. And then she rewrote the first chapter of the first book 15 times. And then she got rejected by 12 publishing houses. Okay, 12. Imagine getting 12 no's after you just wrote this like amazing masterpiece. And then someone finally said yes. And then they even told her, you know, this is a children's book. Like it's not going to do that well. Like I'm happy to take it in my shop, but like it's a children's book. And now look, she's like one of the, the only authors in the world that's a billionaire. And we have worlds created around Harry Potter, including in London and Islands of Adventure and things because she took her time. She did not rush Harry Potter. She took like seven or eight years to get that first iteration off the ground and look where it got her. She wasn't trying to do it by age 30. She wasn't doing it to be a millionaire. She was like, I'm going to take my time and do this in a way that feels good to me. And I think that's the lesson here with JK Rowling, with that guy, Derek Sivers, with anybody that you see has success. They likely took their time growing slow so that when they got to that point where they blew up, they're like, yeah, I know what to do. I have my basic foundational values in place and I understand what means a lot to me. So fame and success aren't going to disrupt me. Like I'm a generous person or I'm going to be able to manage that instead of trying to do this quantum leap thing where you're trying to jump a hundred levels to get where you need to go. So I'm going to include some resources in the show notes that I think will help you. Like I said, I have been loving the school of life. I actually have their calm workbook and I've been literally stalking their YouTube videos I also think listening to Derek Sivers podcast and his whole philosophy on things is helpful, including that book, Anything You Want. I think just Googling people and seeing how long it takes them to create something or get it out in the world will help. And then I also heard there's a book that I actually haven't read, but I'll plug it in the show notes. I think it's called Be Ordinary. And it's just talking about like living a life that you're okay with being ordinary and you're not chasing this random equation of like fame and success and wealth without knowing why you even want it. So again, I will link that all in the show notes. And I'm curious to hear what you think. Like, have you felt behind lately? Are you like, why am I not where I need to be? And do you have all the context and variables to help you make that decision? Because I know I didn't, and I was making like blind comparisons, which caused that mental breakdown. So I want you to know entrepreneurship is hard. You will have dips like that. That's why they say it's not for the faint of heart, because There are times where you want to throw in the towel and you're just like, fuck it, I want to get a corporate job. But you just need to take a deep breath and remember, it's just trying to show you something. To me, it was showing me I need to slow down. I need to make slower decisions. I need to cut some things off and I need to take my time. So let me know how you feel about this episode. I I have a lot more thoughts on this and a lot more ways I could take this, but I really want you to know you're not behind. You're exactly where you need to be with the skill set you have and that's okay. So if you liked this episode, you want to talk about it, you want to chat, let me know. You can DM me at Chelsea Rife or email me info at ChelseaRife.com. And I am coming out with a community very soon where we can all chat about stuff like this because I am so over Instagram and just being in the DMs. It's not even about the DMs. It's like I want to talk to everybody in one space. So I am building that. It's coming soon. And if you did enjoy this episode or you like the show in general, definitely leave a rating and review. They are basically a podcaster's currency. We appreciate them so much and it helps more people find the show and discovering this type of content. And as a thank you for leaving a review, I'm giving away two free 30 minute consults. So if you want to start a podcast, grow a podcast, monetize your podcast, these consults are perfect for you. And again, I'm giving away two of them during the month of July just for leaving a review. So just take a screenshot on Apple Podcasts. By the way, you can only write reviews on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot before you hit submit because sometimes it takes Apple a while to actually upload it and then send it to me info at chelsearife.com or DM me at chelsearife and then I'll pull the winner at the end of the month. 
All right. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned. I'm going to be doing a recap and update on how it's been on remote year, living abroad, adjusting South Africa. There's a lot of content around that coming out soon. So be sure to check out my show notes where you can also submit a question and I will answer it because I want to start including a segment where I answer listener questions and give my very non-expert, probably unsolicited advice, but I think it would be so fun, especially if you're thinking of working abroad or living abroad or traveling. I definitely want to answer your questions about that. So again, head to the link in my show notes where you can submit a question. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it so much. And I will see you next week.